from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another version of the CRI podcast. My name is Jimmy Woodall. I'm the consulting service line leader here at CRI, and joining me today is Ben Kincaid. He is a partner in our Destin office, and he works uh, especially in uh, fraud investigations and forensics. And so he's going to join us, and we're going to talk about fraud today. I know fraud is a topic uh, that we visited a couple of times here on the podcast. I know I've done myself another podcast a couple of years ago with another partner, Nacho Garza, out of our uh, Rio Grande Valley SBU. But, you know, this is something that keeps coming back and keeps keeps popping into the news um, just, you know, across the country. So it's something that we felt was important that we would want to bring back. So I'm going to um, go ahead and, and let uh, let Ben introduce himself here. Good afternoon, Jimmy. Uh, it's uh, good to be here on the podcast with you. Um, again, as you mentioned, I'm a partner in the Destin office, uh, and that's pretty much my sole focus. Uh, so we routinely work with law enforcement agencies, whether that be the FBI, Department of Justice, uh, state law enforcement agencies, such as the FDLE or the GBI. And we work a lot with uh, uh, the state attorney offices, district attorneys and sheriffs, and let's just goes on and on. Uh, so we help them in investigating the alleged frauds and helping them provide, you know, support and evidence for uh, what is going on and expert witness testimony to support our conclusions. And so much of our work uh, leads into the rest and successful prosecution of the individuals that we've determined were responsible for the misappropriation. And uh, uh, it's something that we work uh, closely with law enforcement on on a daily basis. Yeah, so we're we're really fortunate here at CRI that we kind of cover uh, cover fraud from a lot of angles. I guess we call that fortunate, right? So we've got mm-hmm. got the work that that Ben does and and all the other folks that are at a part of our uh, valuation and forensics group in terms of the investigation. And then we've got a great internal audit group that that kind of helps follow up and works with with organizations on the prevention. But uh, Ben, I want to want to get started here uh, talking about a report, report from the Association of uh, Certified Fraud Examiners, their report to the nation. This is a report that that group puts out every couple of years. And so the latest one came out in 2020. And you know, I always find this report re- just really fascinating and just in terms of the breakdown uh, of the case studies that, that they looked at here. And so, um, you know, there's, there's three types of ways that fraud can occur, three general types of ways. One of them is asset misappropriation, where folks are just stealing directly from the company. One of them is corruption, where there, there's lying and, and trying to uh, trying to manipulate maybe officials or, or some, type of, uh, some type of legal or compliance standards there. And then the other one's financial statement fraud, where there's uh, uh, intentional misleading of users of the financial statements. And so I'm looking at this report and I'm seeing that, you know, roughly there, there's some overlap in terms of, of multiple frauds, which I always find that interesting as well, because it's like you, you do one and you try to cover it up with the other. But I'm seeing 86 percent uh, have to do with misappropriation, asset misappropriation, some form of that where they're stealing from the company. Uh, and I know that's really, really important to our, uh, you know, to our smaller business owners that we that we deal with out there. Forty three percent have to do with some type of corruption and 10 percent have to do with with the financial statement fraud. Now, the numbers, the median loss shown on these are a lot smaller. So you, you're looking at about 100,000 
with the asset misappropriation all the way up to like 954,000 median loss with the financial statements. But again, there's a lot more of those cases that you're seeing with the asset misappropriation. What, what, what have you seen? Are your numbers similar to this, the things that you've come across? Yeah. In most cases, you're going to see most organizations are going to experience some type of asset misappropriation schemes. Uh, that's definitely the most common that we see and deal with. Uh, the, the median loss is, uh, in our experience, is usually pretty deflated. Uh, and that's for a number of reasons. A lot of times law enforcement, when you're are getting into a case, you're only going to go back so many years. Oftentimes, uh, and it's identified in that ACFE report that you're talking about that, you know, long term employees, it can go back many, many years as far as the time period that they're misappropriating a organization's assets. And so a lot of times law enforcement only go back two or three years uh, just because of statute of limitations or uh, just investigative uh, resources. And so, you know, the frauds are usually much, much greater than that. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, we could see, you know, even in small businesses that only make, you know, you know, a million to five million dollars a year in gross revenues will have frauds in the terms of realms of 500,000 up to well over a million dollars in some cases. Yeah. That, and that's that brings up to, to another interesting part from the report. So, you know, a lot of times I'll talk to folks. Uh, particularly in the internal audit realm, where they'll just say, you know, we're we're too small to have to worry about fraud. There's not really, not really an issue here. That's that's for bigger companies. We don't really have anything that anybody would want or anything that that someone could take. And uh, I generally find that it's those smaller companies that that tend to have less internal controls there to you know to help prevent that fraud or help detect that fraud. And so I'm looking at the breakdown here that that the report has got, and it shows that in uh, companies with less than 100 employees, about 26% of the cases occurred there. Uh, 100 to 999 employees, 23%. 1,000 to uh, just under 10,000, 27%. And those with over 10,000 employees, 25%. So it's a pretty even spread uh, amongst those. Um, again, are, is that what you're seeing? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, fraud unfortunately impacts all organizations of all sizes, uh, you know, smaller businesses, like you said, that have, you know, less controls or maybe don't think about as much are definitely a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, but uh, it definitely impacts all of these organizations. And, you know, no one business or organization is immune to fraud. Yeah. Well, one, one thing that's interesting and that, you know, business owners uh, should be aware of or, or those in charge of governance should be aware of are the ways that, that uh, uh, these fraudsters conceal the fraud. And so, uh, again, another great point from the report that was looking at are the top four concealment methods. And you saw individuals that were, they one, they created fraudulent physical documents, or they, number two was they altered physical documents. Uh, number three was they altered electronic documents or files, or four is they created fraudulent electronic documents or files. And I know that that is huge because, again, we talk to a lot of folks who think, you know, if, if everything's going through the computer, it's got to be safe, right? It's got to be okay. Um, but but this uh, this evidence here shows that that's a little bit different. Is, again, is that is that what you guys are seeing? Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely what we're seeing. And, you know, it's uh, especially with technology being what it is uh, in this day and age, uh, it's very easy to manipulate something. You can, you know, just a basic PDF uh, document, you can pull that up, change numbers around, save it and print it, and it looks like the original document. We had a, a, 
a case with a uh, city not too long ago where uh, the employee was printing off hotel bills, uh, submitting them for you know support for procurement card transactions. And what we were able to go through and identify was you know certain things didn't add up exactly right for that specific trip. And so we went back and started doing a deeper dive of uh, electronic records, looking at email files, and we identified where we found the original receipt or hotel ledger for that uh, stay and compare that to the one that was submitted. And the dates were all changed. The amounts were removed uh, for upgrades and all sorts of things were manipulated. But just looking at the original support, you would never uh, be able to tell the difference. Um, and so uh, you know, we see that, uh, unfortunately, on a uh, uh, daily basis. Yeah, technology does amazing things, right? So a lot of our <laughs> a lot of our listeners out there, you know, um, may feel like that they've got some things in place, may feel like they're somewhat insulated from fraud because uh, maybe they have an external financial statement audit, or uh, maybe they they feel like they've got a certain level of controls in place. Uh, looking at the statistics from uh, from this report to the nations, I see that forty three percent of the frauds that were detected were done so by tip. Uh, so definitely those those whistleblower hotlines and things like that are always good good things to have, but but then the number drops way way off and the next highest is uh, is fifteen percent, uh, and fifteen percent is detected by an internal audit department which would be in place and again looking at controls and looking at the internal uh, processes there in the organization so you would think that that would be uh, close to the top. The next one is twelve percent from effective management review so that that's always a good thing but. Um, it, it's interesting, you know, an external financial statement audit is, is down at like 4% there, you know, so uh, I, I always think that's interesting and always hear that, you know, a lot of, I guess, a lot of um, expectations fall on the external auditor in terms of finding that. Uh, any, any comment on in, on that? Yeah, I mean, we, we see that, uh, unfortunately, every day as well. You know, one of the first questions that we're asked getting to a forensic investigation is, well, why did my auditor catch it? Why did my external accountant catch this issue? You know, they look at the books, they're they're looking for fraud, don't they? And our response is, no, they don't. Uh, you know, uh, they consider fraud, especially in an audit perspective, they consider fraud in the engagement, uh, but that's not the main purpose or the main goal of a an external audit. And a lot of people have a misconception of that. And uh, in, in those bear out in the ACFE report, as far as those percentages you're listing out there that you know, external audits uh, really account for uh, a small percentage of the frauds that are being identified. And, uh, you know, audits are a very valuable tool. Uh, they just serve a different purpose. Uh, just to give you one example, uh, we had a uh, government organization uh, about two years ago uh, that goes through external audits on an annual basis. And they went through, they didn't find anything in relation to fraud. You know, they had a clean opinion. Uh, and going back through uh, the internal audit department was going back through looking at certain things. They were looking at budget variances and, you know, some things weren't adding up uh, and some revenue variances. And so they just kept digging and digging and ended up that there was a substantial fraud of about $750,000 uh, where a manager was essentially, uh, you know, stealing funds that were incoming to uh, the organization. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was something that the internal audit department was able to catch. And that was what the internal audit department was designed to go for uh, versus the external auditor. You know, they weren't really looking at the, those particular transactions and they had given a, a clean opinion in that particular year. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. Key key difference there in the scope of internal versus external audit. They both have their purposes. They're both great. Uh, but internal audit is really more suited toward uh, helping uh, design and develop those internal controls uh, from a management perspective. Uh, to, to not not always get uh, get fraud, but certainly fraud is is part of, of what falls in there. So, one thing I would add um, as we get in into talk about these, um, you know, when management's doing their risk assessment, you know that that should be part of the internal control environment. You know, you, they, I think they want to make sure that um, that they're assessing any type of incentives or pressures or anything that 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 they may have internally that may uh, drive fraud. If there's some type of performance incentives or some type of uh, external or internal pressures that might drive somebody to do that. And then, of course, they want to assess the opportunities uh, that are there for for somebody to commit fraud. Um, what are some red flags or some things that, that you think, Ben, should be there that management should look at, uh, management of an organization should look at to consider uh, whether they are uh, a target for fraud and or if they if they maybe have fraud already occurring in their organization. Sure. So, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that all organizations are at risk of fraud. You know, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when an organization is going to be impacted by some type of fraud. And so it's really just assessing that degree of fraud risk. You know, some areas are going to have a much higher risk and some areas are going to have much lower risk. And so, you know, just going back through and really kind of doing a, you know, internal uh, overview and seeing what your environment looks like. Uh, one of the things that, you know, is harped on in audits as well as in our engagements from a forensic perspective is the tone at the top of the organization. And that's a, a very important factor uh, in a organization's fraud risk. Uh, and so just some red flags uh, that might indicate that there might be a higher fraud risk is uh uh, policies and procedures. Uh, when we go into a forensic investigation, one of the first documents that we ask for is for their policies and procedures. And uh, oftentimes there's the response that there's no policy procedures or that the policies and procedures, they're going to have to go back, dig in the drawers, dust it off, scan it in because it's hasn't been looked at in years and it's dated in 1990. And uh, we've had so many organizations where that's the case. And no one's trained on those policies and procedures. No one's following those policies and procedures. And so those controls, they say they're there, but they really are not practicing uh, those policies and procedures. They're really not in place. And that just kind of precipitates and leads to people, you know, seeing that, hey, I can do essentially whatever I want. I can do what the manager is doing because uh, they're not following the policies and procedures and just increases the fraud risk. And that may not necessarily mean that there is fraud occurring, but it definitely increases the chances uh, and the opportunity for that fraud to occur. In other cases, and Jimmy, you mentioned this as well as performance uh, or management oversight. Uh, there's a lot of times where we've gone into uh, cases, whether it be not-for-profit organization, uh, government organization, or business organization, where uh, you know there's just really no oversight. Uh, no one's taking responsibility to check uh, the bookkeeper, check the finance department uh, or, you know, other departments and make sure that, you know, everyone's doing what they're saying they're doing. Uh, you know, we've had a not-for-profit organization um, forensic investigation that we went in on and the board, you know, just in talking with the board, it was almost as if their heads were down in the sand. They weren't paying attention to anything. They were relying on this one board member to handle all the you know, bookkeeping, all the deposits, paying the bills, 
no one was looking over this individual shoulder. And, uh, you know, as they were going through, you know, and we started asking, well, you know, did you see this? They would say yes. And why didn't you inquire further? And, you know, the response was, well, well we trust them. We know them. And uh, there was no oversight of that position. And in that one particular case, over a six-year period, that board member took uh, several hundred thousand dollars that equated to one year worth of annual revenue for that organization. Wow. Uh, a very substantial impact, and they're uh, they're still uh, trying to recover from not only the financial impact of that, but also the reputation impact because uh, it's just really damaged their uh, presence in the community. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know, and again, it's those it's those entities like that, those not for profits and those governmental entities, a lot of times that, that feel they're at less risk for uh, for things like fraud that uh, are the most vulnerable when it comes to that that public opinion risk. Uh, that they encounter, and so uh, yeah, as we're as we're wrapping up here, uh, you know, I, I would like to kind of circle back to a couple of points there that Ben made uh, about the tone at the top, about the policies and the procedures, and you know, all of these things fall into uh, what is laid out in COSO's integrated internal control framework, and uh, again, those are things that I would encourage any organization if you do not have an internal audit function or someone at least helping you uh, somewhat along those lines, either either part-time, full-time, uh, look into that because those those are great ways that, uh, that you can help develop controls, develop uh, those policies, develop those safeguards uh, for, for all types of fraud. Nothing is 100% uh, certain. Uh, there's always the always chance to be fraud out there, and it, it's almost like if there's a will, there's a way, right? Um, absolutely. But <laughs> absolutely, but but certainly having those things in place would go a long way toward uh, toward uh, establishing some safeguards to help the organization out. So, uh, with that, uh, Ben, do you anything else to add? Yeah, I think we've covered it. You know, obviously, the, you know, we're not able to list out uh, every single red flag that an organization may. Uh, uh, have, but that's something that, you know, we can definitely have a discussion uh, with your organization on use some additional red flags. Um, but there's many out there. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's important that organizations uh, take uh, proactive approaches to fraud and fraud awareness. You don't want to be the organization uh, that you know, uh, fraud occurs and then uh, the, uh, you know, you have to explain to the stakeholders, whether that be the citizens or the owners or uh, the community of why you let this fraud occur on your watch. Yeah, certainly something you want to do. Well, um, again, CRI would love to help any of you guys out there. If you've got any questions on this, contact us. Go to CRICPA.com. We're on all of the social media uh, accounts. Uh, look at us there. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and, and sign off for the day. Thanks, Ben, for, for being with us. Thank you. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. 